Well, here you go. Everybody knows what I'm going to say now, so let's just do it. Turn with me, if you will, to the place where this week's Torah portion begins. We are uh, well past the middle of the book of Exodus at this point, um, and uh, the uh, the place we're going to go is 25, chapter 25, verse 1, and it says this, um, and Yahuwah spoke unto Moshe. Okay, well, we see a lot of chapters that start that way. What did he say? Speak unto the Benai Israel that they take for me. Now, that root word there we know is lechak. Take for me an offering to Ruma. And there, of course, is the first unique word. So, speak, tell them that they should take for me an offering to Ruma of every man whose heart makes him willing, you shall take my offering. And, I'm going to get some more detail, this is the offering which you'll take of them. Gold and silver and brass, blue, purple, scarlet, fine linen, goat's hair, and ram skins dyed red, seal skins, and acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense, onyx stones, stones to be set for the ephod, for the breastplate, and let them make uh, lay me, for me, or actually, as Rashi puts it, for my namesake, and that's an interesting distinction, a sanctuary, um, mikdash, that I might dwell among them. According to all the pattern I'm going to show you, the pattern of the tabernacle, um, then this is what you're going to do, the pattern of all the furniture and all of these things, even so you shall make it. It's uh, like a blueprint, in other words, he's going to give, and they will make it as per plan. They shall then make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits shall be the length of it, a cubit and a half the breadth, and it's going to be a cubit and a half high. You're going to overlay that with pure beaten gold, within and without. You overlay it, and you make upon it a crown of gold roundabout. So we're going to have uh, a um, an acacia wood top that's covered, and it's going to have gold on the inside and on the outside. Then a gold crown that goes around the top. Then you cast four rings of gold for it. Put them in the four feet thereof. Two rings should be on one side, two rings on the other side. Make staves out of acacia wood. Those get overlaid with gold. So you have essentially a gold-wrapped wooden dowel. And you put those staves into the rings on both sides of the ark. So there's um, one stave on each of the long sides of the ark. And this is used to carry it, to bear it. The staves shall be in the rings of the ark. And they shall not be taken from it. Now, Rashi's comment here is kind of interesting. Uh, he says that means ever. Don't ever take those staves out from the uh, ark cover, or, or the ark, the, the carrying, the carrying staves for the ark. Then you shall put into that ark the testimony which I give you, and you make an ark covering out of pure gold, two and a half cubits will be the length of it, and a cubit and a half the breadth of it, so it fits nicely on top. You'll then make two cherubim of gold, beaten work. You make them as the two ends of the ark cover. Uh, make one cherub on one end, the other on the other end, and with one piece the ark cover you shall make the cherubim of the two ends. So this is all one big work. The cherubim will spread their wings out on high, screening over the ark cover with their wings. Their faces will be towards one another, and uh, this will be how they will face, towards the ark cover. Then, you put the ark cover on top of the ark, and the ark uh, inside you put the testimony that I will give you. And there it says, I will meet with you, and I'll speak with you from above the ark cover, from between those two cherubim, upon the ark of the testimony, all of the things which I will give you in commandment for or unto the Benai Israel. So he's uh, described the ark. Now we're going to hear about some other things. Make a table out of acacia wood, two cubits by one cubit, and it's a uh, half uh, cubit and a half high. 
Overlay that, too, with pure gold. Make a crown of gold roundabout and make a border of a handbreadth roundabout and a gold crown on the border roundabout. Then, likewise, we're going to make four rings of gold. Put the rings on the four corners, on the four feet, and... Close by the border shall the rings be, and this is places for staves that will again be used to bear the table. Make the staves out of acacia wood, overlay them with gold, so that the table may be carried or borne with them. Then you make dishes and pans for it, jars for it, bowls for it, wherewith to pour out of pure gold you make these, and set upon the table showbread before me always." Make a candlestick, and this is actually, I, I like the original Hebrew word better. Of course, we're talking about the menorah, ha, menorah, out of pure gold. Beaten work, it's to be made, even its base, its shaft, its cup, its knops, its flowers. All of these are a single piece, one with it. And uh, then there shall be six branches going out of the sides, three branches on one side, three on the other side, three cups made like almond blossoms on one branch, a knop and a flower, three cups, uh, a knop and a flower on the other branch, So, for the six branches going out from the menorah, and in the menorah, four cups made like almond blossoms, the knops thereof and the flowers thereof, and a knop under two branches with one piece, a knop under another two branches of one piece, and so forth. So, you're going to have knops that are under each two branches for the six that come out from the menorah. The knops and their branches shall be of one piece. Again, it is a single, uh, it's a work that is echad. The whole of it is one beaten work of pure gold. You shall make the lamps thereof seven. So we got the three on each side plus the one in the middle. They shall light the lamps thereof to give light over against it. There will be tongs and snuff dishes, and those are made out of pure gold. A talent of pure gold shall it be made with all the vessels. So a talent of pure gold, folks, that's a lot of gold. Um, It's probably only a a box. uh, I think it'd be even smaller than a shoebox. Less than a a shoebox would be about a talent's worth of gold. But um, by the time you beat that out, that's that's a massive and a heavy work. See that you make them after their pattern, the pattern which is being shown to you in the mountain. Now, the next chapter continues, says, Moreover, you're going to make this tabernacle, this mishkan, with ten curtains of fine twine linen, blue, purple, scarlet, with cherubim, the work of the skillful workman, you shall make them. The length of each curtain is 28 cubits. The breadth, four cubits. All of them are the same size, same measure. Five curtains are then coupled one to another. The other five curtains coupled one to another. Then you make loops of blue upon the edge of one curtain. That's the outermost in the first set. And then you make, uh, likewise, the edge of the curtain that's outermost in the second set. Fifty loops in one curtain, and fifty loops you shall make as the edge of the curtain in the second set. Loops are opposing or opposite one another. Then you make fifty clasps of gold to couple the curtains together with the clasps so that the tabernacle, the mishkan, may be one echad, one unified whole. Then make curtains out of goat's hair for a tent that will go over the Mishkan, the tabernacle, 11 of these. The length of each of those is 30 cubits, so they're a little bit longer than the other ones. Uh, they got a little bit more to cover, right? They're going to go outside, so they're going to be a little longer. The breadth of each curtain, 4 cubits. They're the same width. The 11 curtains are all of the same measure. Then, couple 5 by themselves, 6 by themselves. That doubles over the 6th curtain in front of the tent. Make 50 loops on the edge of 1 in the outmost of the first set, 50 in the out most of the second set, 50 clasps of brass, put the clasps into the loops, couple the whole thing together so that the uh, the mishkan, the ohel, the tent may be echad. And 
As for the remaining part that hangs over the curtains, the half curtain that remains shall hang over the back of the Mishkan, the tabernacle. Uh, and the cubit on one side, the cubit on the other side of that which remains over in length of the curtains shall hang over the sides, on this side and on that side, to cover it up. So there's going to be some overlap. Then you shall make a covering for the tent of ram's skins dyed red and a covering of seal skins above. Now, this is always kind of interesting. And... Um, uh, let's see. It's not ram skins. It's badger skins. But there are some there are some words we're going to find in the, the Torah portion here that uh, represent animals. And I think um, ram skins are okay because that's a that's a pretty common word. But some of the other ones, uh, honestly, there is a lot of debate as to exactly what that animal is that the skins are being used. But in this case, it's it's not the one. Um, you make the boards for the tabernacle. This is going to be the boards that support the walls of acacia wood standing up. Ten cubits will be the length of each board. And they're each a cubit and a half wide. So a cubit and a half wide is essentially just a little over two feet wide. And uh, they're about 15 feet long. So these are great big acacia wood boards that we're talking about that's going to be uh, essentially the walls of the, uh, the the Mishkan. Two tenons will be in each board joined one to another. And you make all of these things for the boards of the tabernacle. Make the boards for the tabernacle 20 on the south side, uh, 40 sockets of silver under those 20 boards, two on each board for its two tenons, two on another board for its two tenons, and for the second side of the tabernacle, the north side, also 20 boards. So we got 20 on the south, 20 on the north. They also have 40 sockets of silver, two under one board, two under another board, so each of them has two boards. For the hind part of the tabernacle to the west, we need six boards. And the, the boards you shall make for the corners of the tabernacle and the hind part. They're doubled beneath, like manner. They shall be complete to the top, uh, to the first ring. So this is the way it is for both of them uh, and for the two corners. And all this way there will be eight boards with their sockets of silver. That means 16 sockets, two per. And um, you shall make bars of acacia wood, five for the boards on one side of the tabernacle, five for the boards on the other side, five bars for the boards on the side and for the hind part to the west. The middle bar in the midst of those boards, which passes from end to end, all of these things, it says, all of these boards, they will be overlaid with gold. Make their rings of gold for holder for the bars and overlay the bars with gold. So lots of beaten gold is going to be applied to the outside of these acacia wood boards. Now, rear, uh, and then it says, and you shall rear up the tabernacle according to the fashion thereof which has been shown you in the mount. So let's pause for just a second. Remember, when left, we left, uh, Moshe has headed up to the mountains. We know he's going to be up there for 40 days and 40 nights. We know that some nasty stuff is going to happen afterwards. Uh, the Creator knows this as well. And it's interesting because essentially what we get here is a bit of an aside. We're going to have a couple of Torah portions of, of description of the tabernacle and the way it's going to be put together. And what I've always kind of found fascinating about this is um, lots of detail. Moshe, on the other hand, he is up there on the mountain, and he is being shown, it says here, uh, how to do this. He's not only being shown the pattern and the blueprints, essentially, but the uh, the way that it's to be raised, the mechanism for getting it up, as has been shown you in the mount. So that's about the only reference we're going to get to Moses and what he is doing um, during this Torah portion, while we're seeing a lot of descriptions on some other things. And, of course... Uh, the other interesting irony is um, it's the tabernacle that is going to be the, I won't say the escape mechanism, the redemption mechanism, and I'm not sure if I like that terminology either, but this is going to be one of the things that will help bring people together. They don't even know why yet, but um, we're going to see all that play out over the next few weeks. 
All right, back to the uh, to the description. Then you make a veil. A veil out of blue and purple, scarlet, fine twine linen with cherubim. The work of the skillful workmen shall be made. So there's going to be a veil that's going to have cherubim, basically, I think, embroidered on it, or at least put upon it. Then you shall hang upon it um, four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold. They're hooks of gold and four sockets, and they're, they're sitting on four sockets of silver. Then you hang up the veil under the clasps, bring it thither within the ark... Within the veil, so bring the ark of the covenant, of the testimony in there. The veil is a place to divide between the uh, the kadosh place and the kadosh kedoshim, the holy of holies, the most holy place. Put that ark cover upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. Then you set the table outside the veil against the menorah over against the table on the south side of the tabernacle, the Mishkan, towards the south, and then put the table on the north side. Then you make a screen for the door of the tent out of blue, purple, and scarlet, fine twine linen, the work of the weaver in colors. And you shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia, Overlay them with gold. Their hooks are of gold, and cast for them five sockets of brass. Chapter 27 is going to tell us about the uh, altar, among other things. You shall make the altar of acacia wood, five cubits long, five cubits wide. So it's square. The altar is uh, four square, and that's the term that it's used here. The height, three cubits. So it's a pretty tall altar. Uh, Make the horns of it upon the four corners. These are of one piece with it, so they're they're in a cod, a unity, and overlay all of this, this time with brass, and make its pots to take away its ashes, its shovels, its basins, its flesh hooks, fire pans, all the vessels for this thing shall be made of brass, and you shall make for it a grating of a network of brass, and upon that net you make four brazen rings and the four corners thereof, so it's got four corner pieces on it, and you put it under the ledge around the altar beneath, that the net may reach halfway up the altar. Make for for the altar staves of acacia wood. Uh, overlay them, this time with brass. And the staves will be put into the rings, and the staves are on the two sides of the altar. This is for carrying it. Hollow with planks shall you make it, as, again, here's another reference, as has been shown you in the mount, so shall they make it. And you'll make the court of the tabernacle for the south side to the south. There'll be hangings for the court out of fine twine linen, a hundred cubits long on one side. So that's 150 feet for this courtyard. The pillars thereof, 20. Sockets, 20. And they're made out of brass. The hooks of the pillars and their fillets will be of silver. So there's kind of an interface here that's between uh, brass and silver. Likewise, on the north side, the length will be for hangings, a hundred cubits long. And the pillars, 20. Their sockets, 20, out of brass. The hooks of the pillars and their fillets are out of silver. As for the breadth of the court, west side got hangings and it's 50. So it's 100 cubits by 50 or 150 feet by about 75. Uh, 10 pillars and 10 sockets. The breadth of the court on the east side, 50 cubits. The hangings on one side of the gate, 15 cubits, 3 pillars and 3 sockets. Other side, again, 15 cubits, 3 pillars and 3 sockets. And for the gate of the court, there's a screen. This one's 20 cubits of blue, purple, and scarlet, fine twine linen, the work of the weaver colors, and this time it's pillars four and sockets four. And we're almost to the end of the description of uh, this part of the the building for the Mishkan, and of course this will be the end of the Torah portion as well. All the pillars of the court roundabout, they are made with fillets of silver, hooks of silver, and the sockets are made out of brass. 
So this this progression is kind of interesting. If you think about it, what we're seeing as as the Mishkan is laid out here, uh, the inside pure gold, the things that surround that are essentially silver, and then we get the uh, the interface to the outer parts that are of brass. The length of the court, 100 cubits, breadth, 50. The height, 5 cubits, again, fine twine linen, and the sockets of brass. All, it says, this is the last verse in the portion, all of the instruments of the tabernacle and the service thereof, and all the pins thereof and all the pins of the court, so all the things that are on the outside, in other words, these shall be of brass. And with that, the uh, the Torah portion ends for this week. So come out of her, oh my people, for the time has come to judge Babylon. So come out of her. Hey folks, Boker Tov, Shabbat Shalom, welcome back, good morning, and let's talk about Parsha Teruma, which begins in Exodus chapter 25, goes for several chapters. This one is uh, almost like an aside, but it's not really. Uh, as we know, when we left the uh, the narrative story last week, Moses, Moshe, was headed up the mountain. He's going to be up there for 40 days and 40 nights. Then we know that some, uh, some kind of nasty stuff is going to happen after he comes back down. We'll see that over the next few weeks. Meanwhile, this aside is setting up what we're going to talk about after all of that, and it's going to indeed occupy a number of uh, parshot, has to do with the building of the Mishkan, the tabernacle, the ohel, the tent in the wilderness, a place where he will, um, at least his namesake, as Rashi puts it, will dwell among them and so forth. So lots of uh, important stuff here. I think one of the key elements of this is, obviously, even though we haven't seen the story play out in a time sense, a narrative sense, Yah knows the end from the beginning. He knows what's going to happen, and he already has a plan for dealing with it. And um, we'll see that. But what I want to talk about first off, let's let's begin with just a synopsis of the parsha itself. And um, it begins with Yahuwah saying to Moshe, "Speak unto the Benai Israel, tell, uh, the children of Israel, and tell them that they take for me." Hebrew word there is lakak, that's the root word for take, an offering, teruma. So there's the name of the Parsha, first unique word. Take for me an offering. And here's the key, of every man whose heart makes him willing. And, of course, that's an interesting phrase. Uh, it is key to a lot of things that will follow. Uh, I will note that the, um, the um, I'll say it, what I refer to frequently as the whore church uh, often takes this as, oh, let's go let's go talk about the part of the uh, the New Testament where God loves a cheerful giver because, yeah, yeah, everybody's got to give their tithes and offerings. It's your 501c3 tax deduction and so forth. So, uh, as you might guess, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about that. Uh, giving is wonderful, but, uh, no, we don't have to browbeat people into to it. And we're going to talk about some other things that I think are going to be related and probably more important than uh, making sure that you uh, get your tax deduction uh, for those that are inclined to support the Whore Church anyway. So what I'm going to focus on is the element of uh, how this is laid out. And we're going to see this in the first few verses of the chapter. Speak to the Benai Israel. Tell them that they take for me this teruma of every man whose heart makes him willing. Here's what they're going to give. Uh, gold, silver, and brass, blue, purple, and scarlet, fine linen, goat's hair, ram skin dyed red, uh, skills, seal skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices, uh, onyx stones, other uh, stones to be set, and so forth. And the point is in verse 8. Let them make for me a mikdash. Sanctuary is one way to render that. And it's literally for me, lay me, and as I mentioned, Rashi suggests that this is for my name's sake. 
Now, he doesn't need a place to dwell, uh, but there is a lot, and, and we'll uh, see some of the uh, the elements of how that's going to play out. There is a lot in here, a lot of things that are symbolic, a lot of things that are specific, a lot of things that uh, we can uh, take a look at and pull out phrases and recognize, oh, wow, this, this has all kinds of implications. But um, a place for my name's sake, I think, is interesting, because that makes more sense to dwell. Uh, there will be a place where he physically manifests his presence as well. And then this verse, okay, do this, he says, according to all that I show you, the pattern of Ha-Mishkan, the tabernacle, the pattern of Ha-Mishkan, the pattern of the furniture, all these patterns, these blueprints, and he's going to give some descriptions. Uh, last night as I was going through the, uh, the Torah portion itself kind of sequentially, somebody made a comment that I think many of us have thought about, I've certainly thought about a lot of times, gee, it's kind of hard to follow. You read the text, right? You read the text and you see about all these these hooks and clasps and, and things that are being joined together and the boards and the sockets and the pillars and how does all this fit? And then we're told Moshe, he's going to be shown the pattern of how to rear it up. And it, it kind of makes perfect sense. If somebody didn't show Moshe and the people that are doing this, show them as opposed to tell them, they're probably never going to get it right, right? There is a lot to this. And uh, so I think one of the key elements of this, one of the lines that really kind of leapt off the page this cycle, especially to me, is this idea of according to the pattern that I show you. So let's pause and, and look at that for a second here. That word there in, um, in Hebrew is tavnit, tavnit, the pattern. And uh, this is the first place in the Bible, in the Torah, that that word appears. It appears several times, though, right in here. Uh, the Tavnit, and it has other renderings besides the pattern. Pattern's not a bad translation, but it could be said to be a model or an image or a likeness. In other words, something you can see and look at and understand. Uh, notice it's not the word that's used when we're created in the image and likeness of Yah. Uh, it does have this idea of the manner of building something uh, when it comes to, uh, yeah, blueprint is not a bad translation anyway, or appearance thereof. But it's interesting that if you look beyond this set of Torah portions, where we have a discussion about building it according to the pattern, the next place you see it is in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And I'll turn there and look real quickly. Uh, 4, and it appears several places there as well, verses 16, 17, and 18. And notice how the word is used. Now, it's also going to appear one other place, and I kind of glossed over that, but uh, guess what? Moshe isn't. Here it is in 4 of Deuteronomy. He says, essentially, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach to observe so that you might live. And then we get to the place where he's recounting some things. And uh, verse uh, 15 says this. Now notice he is hearkening back to something we're going to see in the next few portions and that is the uh, the incident if you will at Mount Sinai the golden calf. Take careful, take heed to yourselves, because you didn't see any former likeness when Yahuwah spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Yeah, you didn't see any pattern there. Uh, you heard, and so forth, lest, here we go, lest you deal and act corruptly and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of any figure, the likeness, oh, there it is, there's the word, of a male or a female. The likeness, the pattern, the tavnit of any animal that's on the earth, or the tavnit of any winged bird that's in the air, or the tav need of anything that creeps on the ground, or the tav need of any fish. Take heed, lest you lift your eyes to heaven. So, so here's here's the pattern of the thing they need to be uh, concerned about, uh, lest they do this uh, this other word that we uh, find uh, I think is real important. Shachat. 
and it has to do with corruption or something that is detestable, or you become detestable. You act and you become corrupt by doing these things according to a pattern. Now, he's going to show us a pattern for something which is good, a, p- a place for his name to dwell, a pattern that, as it turns out, uh, is going to get um, literally spiritualized a lot. Is this the pattern for how he dwells within un- among in us or in, in our name? Uh, his name is put in us. That's what I meant to say. All of those things... Uh, isn't it funny, right? There, there are so many things here. We read through this and we go, oh, what's the relevance of this? It's kind of detailed. It's kind of boring. There's lots of specifics about uh, uh, gold, silver, and, and uh, bra- brands, uh, bras- bronze or brass. Uh, you know, there, there's a similar element there. Um, and all of these uh, things that are going to be made into the ephod and the various types of furniture and so forth, uh, it's, it's confusing. Uh, and, and it's hard for us to put our heads around it without a pattern, without a... Um, an image, some kind of likeness that we can look at and see and say, okay, that's that's what it looks like. We're we're generally not everybody, but most of us are kind of visually oriented. I know when I design something, I like to picture it in my mind and look at it from multiple angles and turn it over and see what it looks like from different sides. And if you're going to make it, you know, how do you make it and so forth. But this word, this this pattern, is obviously one of these words that can be applied to something which is for goodness, for a place for him to place his name and dwell among us, or for evil. The kind of thing that he forbids, the likeness, the appearance of something that we're not supposed to uh, make and then uh, ultimately let become an idol. So uh, it's used to describe this likeness, if you will, of what we know to be called the, the, the brazen image. All right, well, the rest of the Torah portion, there are certainly elements of this pattern that we see extensions. There are patterns within the things that are being made, patterns that we can say, okay, here how here's how the ark is supported with these two staves of acacia wood. Notice that there are similar patterns for how the other things, like the altar, are going to be um, transported with the, the staves that go there. So we're going to see familiar patterns, and uh, certainly that's the way he made us to be, so we tend to look for patterns. Uh, we can see patterns with the things that are, uh, laid out in the tabernacle. It's interesting to me, always is, how it starts in the center out. He starts by describing the things that are in the middle. The holy of holies, and then the holy place, and then the outer parts of the tabernacle, and so forth. And as we move through those, you kind of see a pattern in the elements. It begins with gold, and then a silver, and then uh, brass or bronze as we move outward. And we see these patterns in the, uh, the connections, the tenons, the support structures, how this interface between first gold, then silver to brass, occurs. So, um, yeah, lots of elements of this that can get spiritualized. That's where I'm not going to go today. But uh, where I do want to go is this idea of the pattern. And um, Moshe was shown the pattern. He was shown the pattern up on the mountain. This is going to sound like a little bit of a shift, and to some degree it is, but uh, certainly, given what we have going on in the world, I'm going to ask a related question. Um, Have we been shown the pattern? Now, now think about that. We we certainly, uh, I will contend, if there is anything that is at the essence, at the root of studying Scripture, studying Torah, that really is it. Okay, at least that has what has always appealed to me about uh, his instruction. I uh, look at it and I see that it's consistent, and I begin to see the patterns and how the pieces fit. Matter of fact, that that forms the essential way that I approach Scripture is looking at the pattern and saying, you know, all the pieces fit. And if I see a piece that doesn't seem to fit, that looks contradictory, given that I know that the Mashiach says that uh, he's not changing anything, not the tiniest part, not one yoder tittle. Somebody tells me, well, he did away with his own law. Well, I know one thing. They're wrong, and it's not he that is wrong. 
So we can look for discrepancies and maybe we can learn by applying the pattern that we see to uh, larger and larger elements of his integrated whole, right? This tapestry that he has woven for us of his scripture. And yeah, that is in fact a huge pattern. There are patterns in the way that we try to conform ourselves to his, what, image and likeness and pattern. All kinds of things that we ought to see. So um, I'm going to suggest that um, if there is anything in here that I will focus on this time around, it's uh, let them make for me this place for my name to dwell, or for me to dwell among them, this mikdash. And it's going to be according to the pattern that I have shown you. Indeed, we could almost say is showing us and will show us. He continues to show us the patterns, the things that are important. And uh, to my mind, that is what's really vital to understand today, is uh, the pattern that's out there and how we need to react to the pattern and and what we can do and see. Um, Let me just kind of be blunt, all right? I will, um, I'm not going to suggest anymore. I think it's painfully obvious to anyone with eyes to see. There is a pattern at work. Uh, the adversary, the bad guy, Old Scratch, Hasatan, pick a name, Beelzebub, Baal, Molech, uh, whoever, whatever evil entity it is that thinks it runs the world, um, George Soros, you know, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the WEF, the Bilderbergers, um, you name it, Trilateral Commission. I mean, there's any number of bad guys and evil ones and horror churches and, uh, you know, fill in the gaps. But it does seem like the pattern is kind of consistent. They all serve the same master. Uh, Yeshua nailed it. He told us a long time ago what the pattern is. The adversary comes but to what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, having seen that, can we see other patterns today? Uh, I have uh, suggested for a while that probably the most diabolically evil act of mass destruction yet... Now, remember, the Biden Fuhrer is over in Europe, or was, uh, trying to get World War III not only kicked off, they got that part done, but he wants them to nuke us. And he basically is just jonesing for it. Actually, it's the people that are pulling his puppet strings. That's the pattern we see there. But um, that's just part of the bigger whole. All right, I started to say what has really happened over the last few weeks, about three weeks ago now, was the biggest act of uh, mass destruction, arguably, especially when it comes to an ecological act of terror, in American history. Uh, It's been called, and I think appropriately, America's Chernobyl. Somebody derailed a train. Was it an act of utter, unbelievable, but but is gay level incompetence? The so-called Secretary of Transportation is not qualified for anything? Nope. It even goes beyond deliberate uh, evil. Because not only did they derail the train, and it was uh, now, we we know this week, we saw that it was uh, on fire. There was video of it uh, sparking and making flames. Forty minutes before it finally arrived at its destination and spilled its guts all over the horizon. And then, then what really was amazing is some, not just blithering idiot, this takes, uh, you know, useful idiots to do the deeds, but actually people who know what they're doing, to cause the greatest release of dioxin, along with it, phosgene, the World War I poison gas, in the history of North America. They released a dioxin cloud. How do you make dioxin? You take vinyl chloride and you burn it. Now, had they just sucked it up and moved it away, it would have been bad. But on the scale of badness, that's kind of like a 1, whereas what we have is an 11 and going higher. They burned it. They sent this toxic cloud up into the high atmosphere where it proceeded then to drift towards Pennsylvania and over New York. It has now leached into the groundwater. It has destroyed the farms, the homes, the lives. People have now received lethal doses of dioxin. Their animals, their plants, all over the place as well. 
This is one of the most, again, toxic chemicals known to man. And there are so many that are dead men walking, they don't even know it. Here's the thing that I think, and you can guess, this just infuriates me. There are good people talking about it and warning, but not on the criminally negligent networks. Not at the WAPO, New York Times, or any of the three-letter so-called news agencies that are lying through their damnable teeth. They're not calling out the politicians who are guilty of war, treason, against those that they have now killed, who don't even know it yet. Dioxin, folks, is incredibly deadly, unbelievably deadly. Uh, As Mike Adams pointed out, it's not parts per billion that kill people. It's parts per trillion or less that kill people. Birth defects, cancers, through the roof. Now, this is on top of so many that have already taken the Zyklon B injection, the poison poke, and their boosters. How many of those were dead already? How many are going to die of cancer? Interestingly, what they've done now is they have muddied the waters. Well, they've dioxined the waters so that people won't even be able to tell. Hey, was it the poison poke that killed all those people, or was it dioxin, or was it a combination? Ha, ha, ha! Well, either way, they're dead. And your name's your little dog, too. This is a level of evil that is so beyond comprehension, most people simply can't imagine it. They recoil in horror at it. Yeah, it's way, way beyond stupidity or even incompetence that has been uh, you know, bred into people who then are put in positions of power way beyond their Peter Principle level. What am I suggesting? There's a pattern here, folks. There's a pattern that goes way beyond just we want lots of people dead. There's a pattern that goes back to before Fauci and the communist Chinese developed their bioweapon and deployed it in multiple parts, shut down the economy, destroyed small businesses, destroyed the American economy and then the world economy, and injected billions of people with their multi-part bioweapon. Oh yeah, there's a pattern that is, um, well, let me say it this way. If we have eyes to see, once you see the pattern, you can't ignore it anymore. You can't pretend it's not there. Here's another little element. Now, this is a story I just saw this week from the Gateway Pundit. It came out uh, yesterday, actually. What's going on, it asks. Ready for this? Massive fires have now broken out, three of them, at Mexican Pemex. That's the state-owned owned oil conglomerate. Uh, Mexico's main oil producer called Pemex. Three major fires at state-owned oil facilities, including one of them happens to be in Texas, within, you ready for this? Here's a coincidence for you. <laughs> 24 hours. Three major fires at, what? what is it they're trying to destroy? Oh, yeah, part of the pattern? Energy. Well, energy anyway that doesn't uh, supposedly uh, run green. The kind of things that they want to destroy Russia for. That they blew up the Nord Stream pipeline so that Germany could be plunged into the Dark Ages. And now, in this same piece, it says, just in the same day, massive fires broke out at three different facilities in Mexico and one in the United States, all controlled by state-owned Mexican oil company Pemex. Uh, they were in multiple places, uh, Veracruz, Mexico, the Minatitlan refinery in uh, Veracruz, Deer Creek, Texas, and so forth and so on. Here's the other thing this piece points out. Just a couple of days prior to that, in uh, February the 21st, there were three... Major disasters, all related to, well, things that look like a pattern, a minor amount of sabotage. Uh, a, a Union Pacific coal train derailed in Nebraska. That was the fourth in just ten months for Union Pacific. There was an explosion and fire in Miami. And, uh, by the way, there have been dozens of these derailments this year alone. Uh, there was a um, an alloy plant in West Virginia that had an explosion and or fire. And then there was a, a massive fire in Brooklyn at a lumber 
warehouse. Now, do you notice a pattern here? All kinds of things that have to do with infrastructure. Kinds of things that a productive society needs to build homes, to repair homes that are being destroyed by dioxin and by chemical um, bioweapon bombs. Then we have... Um, you know, that fire, remember, on February the 20th that took out a metal alloy plant and uh, killed some folks and uh, injured a whole bunch of others. Anybody actually think this is a coincidence? Oh, yeah, that's what they're going to tell you. They're investigating the causes. What do you bet they're not going to tell you the real cause? Where I want to go with uh, next is just a couple of stories. I- I'm going to try to lay out there is a pattern here. This is not a pattern that should surprise any of us that understand Scripture. This is a pattern that, as I've mentioned, Yeshua pointed out, and you can see it going all the way back to the Garden of Eden and Genesis chapter 3. But um, just a few comments from Brandon Smith. Now, Brandon is a, he's a, what you might call a standard Christian kind of guy. He does not talk about that much. His major bent is uh, libertarianism as a political movement. So the capital L libertarian, uh, the, uh, the kind of an idea that says, uh, you know, the first principle is do not initiate aggression or force. That, that kind of political libertarianism. Live and let live, in other words. All right, but he says it this way. It's a piece called Deconstruction and Why the Leftists Will Not, Cannot, and It Will Not Be Allowed to Coexist with People Who Value Liberty and Freedom. In other words, those of us that believe that uh, those whom yod vav has made free are free indeed, that kind of thing. It's clear to anyone, or should be, he says, paying attention, during the current stage of instability, something is really, really wrong in uh, not just American society, the whole world. Ongoing issues of political corruption, economic mismanagement. No, it goes far deeper than that. I'm talking about the systemic, systematic derailment of our culture, heritage, principles, history, law, moral compass, the vicious devouring of the very sinews that hold our civilization together. There's a pattern for you. Can you see that this is evil and that, it, in fact, it's no longer even remotely possible to say, oh, it just could have been a, ch- a coincidence that all this bad stuff happened at the same time? I mean, the people that are doing this, they may appear to be beyond stupid, but they're not stupid. They're evil. But they think that people who can't see it are stupid, and I guess they can make a pretty good case there. There's a cancer, says Brandon Smith, eating away at America, a concerted, organized effort to destabilize. And he says it's a bit like, and he quotes a movie, I would say you could look at it from a scriptural standpoint, it's a bit like a demonic invasion. He notes that this last week, uh, Georgia congressman, or woman, Marjorie Taylor Greene, caused a, a, a stir when she said something that everybody with half a brain has been thinking for a long time. Is it time for a national divorce? A separation of the conservatives from the leftists? We want to go to hell and we'll take you with us. Uh, blue states. A parting of the ways. Irreconcilable differences and so forth. Leftists within the corporate media, of course, flipped out. They accused her of inciting civil war and claimed that she was the one that is objecting to their treason. All right, but he says here, I don't pay much attention to politicians, but it is interesting to see someone so prominent say what we, the libertarians, the, uh, uh, dare I say it, you know, the uh, conservative, Bible-believing types have been saying for so long. They see the populace, he notes. This is the essence of his piece. The leftists, they're not going to allow this. They see the populace as slaves, as chattel, to be managed in the name of the greater good, at least as they see it. They're God. They see individuals not as individuals that have been created in the image and likeness of yod heh vav and given a choice, though. They have um, no right to dissociate from those who know better than they do what their lives should be or shouldn't be, or even if they get to live at all.
Um, essentially, this is OCD, he says, and uh, leftists will not tolerate free activity because all states and all people in them must be collectivized before they can be satisfied. And uh, people who are property, whether they know it or not, can't be allowed to make decisions without their betters, that would be those who know better and those who serve the prince of this world, making the decisions for them. You see, the essence, and I've said this is the pattern of Scripture for a long time, is choose life. Says the Creator, I've laid before you this day life and blessing, death and cursing, so choose life. It's not too hard for you. It's a really simple choice. Open book test even. Just choose life so that you and your descendants might live. He quotes a, um, an, an evil leftist named Jacques Derrida who thought that the world was a mind game, and he uh, believed that questions should be raised about standards. And uh, the globalists and the leftists expanded his uh, philosophy to question everything. You've heard this, question everything. Uh, Even engage in hostile activities against the very foundations of civilization. And they see structuralism, they call it, order, octung, as the target. Trouble is, if you don't like it, they want you destroyed from their order. And for leftists, notes um, Smith, all traditional rules and protections need to be sabotaged. All errant behaviors, are you guessing what he's talking about here? He, he makes it clear. Anything that is sexual deviancy that the scripture says is an abomination before him. And in fact, as a man lying with a man is with a woman, uh, you know, it literally carries a death penalty. Bestiality carries a death penalty. They're now teaching it to kids. And don't think they're done yet. They're just getting rolling down that particular road to hell. So he's right. Um, All of these things, aberrant behaviors, must eventually become accepted and taught to kids. They're going to teach it to your kids whether you like it or not. You can't say no to it. That's the point. And discrimination against anything. Well, except, of course, the God of the Bible. Anything he says is okay. That kind of discrimination is fine. But anything else, anything that is abomination to him, and you discriminate against that, well, that's taboo. And here's an interesting statement. This is how Brandon Smith summarizes this this line of logic. Um, If people are allowed to discriminate, then that allows them to separate. And if they are allowed to separate, well, collectivism of thought in uh, obedience to their fake God, that cannot be achieved. If people are free to do what? Come out of her, my people? Separate? Touch not the unclean thing? They're going to force you to do that. If they can't force you to do that, then they cannot achieve their goal, which is, well, Yeshua said it, to come but to kill, to steal, and destroy. The hive mind requires total conformity. Now, he doesn't say it, but if you remember one of the great science fiction demons, uh, uh, booga booga people of all time, is probably Star Trek, first in the next generation where they had the Borg, right? You will be um, assimilated. And uh, the Borg basically just come in and take over, the hive mind. And it really is kind of a frightening concept, and it in fact really is exactly what's going on. You look at the AI stuff that's going on, the things that the Elon Musks and uh, the world totalitarian technocrats are looking for. Going to put brain implants in you along with the mark of the beast. Maybe it's the one and the same thing. But all of that is pointed in the same direction, this hive mind. Basically what it says is choose life. Choose to serve a different God than the one that runs this world. No, that will not be allowed, will not be tolerated. So, what we have is a process of deconstruction, to pick away and now openly destroy, burning them up even, fundamental systems, definitions, and uh, claim that they're inherently flawed. 
Flawed, flawed, fraud. I want to confuse fraud with flawed, but yeah, there you go. Um, they need to be destroyed, torn down. Oh, we're going to build back better. No, we're going to destroy and build chaos back better. And emotional and self-absorbed people, which is what we see doing this, uh, at least those are the useful idiots, as Lenin put it, they're easy to control. People who are able to think critically, and they don't teach that in schools anymore for that very reason. They're harder to control. The deconstruction mindset views nothing as sacred, especially if Scripture says that it is set apart to yod That includes the moral compass. Now, this is as close as, as Brandon Smith generally gets to a, a biblical, openly uh, obvious worldview. Uh, he's going to call it things like the moral compass and our understanding of right and wrong. But really, what it is, folks, is do you have a biblical worldview or not? But by claiming moral superiority, the left uh, will often rationalize what we know to be highly immoral practices. Why? Well, because we have that worldview. That's why they are uh, pronoun pedophile promoters. And uh, they're doing all this stuff to deconstruct anything, right? Remember, the Bible actually says that a man trying to dress up as a woman is uh, an abomination, toiba. It has um, really nasty consequences. And indeed, uh, you know, if you thought the Bible was bad talking about um, just cross-dressing, uh, how much more so convincing little boys and girls before they even know what these parts are for to cut their breasts and genitalia off and take puberty-blocking drugs and turn themselves into little abominations before, yeah, they'll never know what it was that they've lost. And this is, this is what they call, you know, what they want to accomplish. There's nothing, there's no good word for this, folks. This is nothing but what the Bible clearly says, correctly, is abomination. This is why leftists in the media are now promoting pedophiles as a victim status group, rather than exactly what they are, criminals. Uh, this is the philosophy of pure chaos. Now, here's, here's how all of this ends up, and this is why I think I wanted to spend a couple minutes, because there is a pattern here. And I want to make sure that we see. Now, it's it's not like we haven't seen this pattern. It's just that of late, not only are the gloves off, the uh, the raw evil of the mnemonic thing is looking at us, not hiding. It's proud, it's evil, and it's openly admitting, I've come here to kill you. I want to kill your kids. I'm going to steal your land. I'm going to take away everything you need to live. And I'm going to make sure that you and your progeny and everything about you are not only dead, but destroyed and wiped off completely. And they started with the Zyklon B injections, and now they've graduated to the biggest environmental catastrophe. And they're not even telling people how dead they are because of what they've done with dioxin. Again, I say it, to call this satanic and beyond evil is really an understatement. Imagine that, folks. Something that is outright demonically satanic is an understatement. Because most folks still don't realize how bad what's already happened, not to mention what they got planned, is all right. People who respect the foundations of individual liberty, writes Brandon Smith, and the wisdom of reason—not to mention the wisdom of what has been laid for us out for us in Scripture—they simply cannot coexist with the political left. You ever seen that asinine bumper sticker with all the little pagan systems that, that spells out coexist? That's not what they want, folks. There's no coexistence for those that are pushing towards destruction of anything that is not part of a satanic agenda. Eventually, the leftists will destroy them too, those people that have those little coexist bumper stickers. Or those of us who realize just how far gone things are will have no choice but to secede, 
Now, I've been suggesting, come out of her, my people, peacefully, separate yourself, recognize what's going on, touch not the unclean thing. This is scriptural. This is absolutely something that you can't ignore if you go through the Bible. And it should have been obvious years ago. But at this point, for those that haven't figured it out yet, it's arguably almost too late. All right, so as Brandon Smith says, yep, the left will either destroy those who want to secede or they will be able to do so, and the end is inevitable. He says, and I agree he has, and so have I, I've called for separation and relocation many times over the years. This is the only peaceful means of dealing with the problem of complete moral and political destruction and the intended division. It's the only way that what he calls conservatives, liberty-minded people, libertarians, Bible believers, you name it, can exit our association with the totalitarian, fascist, ultimate left without bloodshed. That said, and I think he's right, they ain't never going to let it happen. And isn't that obvious? They are literally engaging in wanton acts of destruction. I have suggested, too, Smith doesn't say this, but I will, that uh, when you open the borders up and you allow terrorists to come in, now, how many terrorists are coming in among the tens of thousands, no, millions of people that have already come across the open border? Is it 1%? Well, in that case, folks, it's thousands upon thousands of terrorists. We know there's rapists, muggers, murderers, and looters that have come in. How many are outright terrorists and have now joined up with cells? How many are are derailing trains, burning up uh, everything from metal alloy plants to food processing plants to chicken raising plants? Sacrificing railroads. There are, there are stories that in Ohio there were um, blasting caps found not too far from the place where the train derailed. Imagine that. I saw a comment on the screen about how many trains derail every day. And the answer is, oh, yeah, I don't doubt that there's lots of them. How many of them would have derailed just by chance? And how many of them are derailing because bad guys are making them? It ain't that hard to blow up a train track. Just put it off a, a couple inches, and if they don't watch real carefully, it can go down. Oh, yes, there are tools and systems in place to prevent that. That's what the hot box was supposed to be able to detect. Uh, funny how it went for 40 minutes and didn't detect it. Almost like somebody sabotaged the systems that are supposed to warn. This is a coordinated, orchestrated plan. You could almost call it a pattern of deliberate destruction. Okay. Exit without bloodshed, as he points out. That ain't going to happen. They're not going to allow that to happen. In fact, now listen to this and notice the pattern here. One of the very first things that the leftists accused Marjorie Taylor Greene of doing was inciting civil war. <laughs> this is kind of like somebody who keeps, uh, you've seen it in the movies, right? Some bully, he takes the little guy and he starts slapping him around. And he says, come on, come on, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? Slap, 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 kick, kick, butt. And finally the guy says, I've had enough. And he pulls out a gun and blows that sucker away. Or maybe he just lays down and gets beat to hell and killed. Those are the choices. But either way, the big bad bully says, ha ha, you, uh, you are trying to incite a battle here. The hell he is. The point is, this is precisely the pattern. The left, the bad guys, those who serve the prince of this world, I'm going to suggest that you can pick any name you want for it, folks, but they are Satanists. In other words, they are adversarial to the one true most high Elohim, yod heh vav They are adversarial. And the pattern is clear. And what we're seeing is there's no denying the pattern now. So for the rest of us, it boils down to, wow, hmm, what are we going to do about it? Let me finish the, uh, the line from Smith. He says, they, they accuse Marjorie Taylor Greene of inciting civil war. And uh, they, in fact, are essentially saying, hey, you try to walk away from us, we'll kill you. And there it is. Yes, we want you dead. 
If you try to leave, we still want you dead. And now we'll kill you even sooner than we might have let you live for a while longer if you've been good little slaves. But ultimately, the fact that you figured out that we want you dead means we're going to just up the ante and do it sooner. Says Brandon Smith. And he's correct here, by the way. He won't point to Scripture, I will. One cannot reason with a monster. One can only erase that monster from existence. Now, for years, one of the things that I've had people tell me, oh, the God of the Bible would never say, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Ammonites, you know, all of these bad people that are in this land of Canaan, you're going to go in there and you're going to wipe them all out. Their iniquity is complete. Every single one of them. Wipe them out. Sand them down. I can't imagine a, a, a good God doing that. Well, folks, when you're talking about utter, irredeemable, and probably even not human, evil, and isn't that what we're talking about? There's only one answer. Because they are basically telling you what their pattern is. You will not be allowed to live. You human you. You uh, created in the image of Yah you. Oh, by the way, if we can modify your DNA and destroy your children so you can't reproduce, that'll work because eventually you'll be dead. But we'd like it to happen sooner. The pattern is clear. They want to wipe out the image and likeness and the pattern of everything, including our DNA that was created by him in his image for our blessing. They want to wipe out his word. They want to wipe out every aspect of it. This is, whether we like it or not, this is a battle to the end. And hey, if we've read the end of the book, we know that that is exactly what's being set up. Now, the thing that I think is shocking to folks is we begin to step back and say, is this pattern really clear? Yeah, it is. The pattern should be undeniable by now. We've known, if we've read Scripture, where it ended up, but most of us have said, well, that's probably going to be a long time after I'm gone. My children's children might not even see it. Answer? If you're paying attention, if you're walking in obedience, if you're trying to be an overcomer to do what he says to come out of her, and if you are blessed to walk in that obedience, and you're found doing his work when he returns, accounted worthy to escape the things that are coming upon the earth, you will see it. We are seeing it now. So here's the question, right? Has the pattern been shown to us? And I'm going to suggest, just as it was shown to Moshe, because it's kind of hard to see how to fit that tabernacle thing together with a, uh, you know, a verbal description. We have seen the pattern. Now we've had a verbal description of what, you know, fill in the gaps. Or Armageddon, the end times. Uh, Yeshua in Matthew 24 gives us a really good verbal description of a lot of things, most of which we've already been seeing. But the end is not yet. We haven't seen all of it. Tribulation, the likes of which we've never seen. Well, you know what? What happened in Ohio is something the likes of which has never been seen in North America before. People don't even know how it's going to turn out yet because most of them don't realize their land has been poisoned. They may very well have been killed. Now, there are some things that people like Mike Adams and some doctors that he's talking about are suggesting, hey, can be done to try to detox yourself before it's too late. And I encourage folks, if you've been exposed to that, be aware of it. On the other hand, if you haven't been exposed to it, just understand that there is going to be food that is being shipped. I heard from uh, people saying there's water already being shipped out of that area. Well, the water is going down the Mississippi River. Eventually, it's going to go to the Gulf. This poison is going to be out there. Those people who are his, who seek to be called by his name, are going to have to learn to walk in obedience. I've had discussions the last week about you know things that he says are not food. 
pork and shellfish and other things that are abominations. Uh, interesting Hebrew words there, toiba and shakats. Don't touch them. Um, don't eat them, for crying out loud. Do we think that if there's poisons like dioxin in the environment, I, I'm going to ask it this way. Uh, do I have a study to say that if you don't eat pig, you're, you're, you're better off with dioxins? No. But I do know this. I'd say it's pretty obvious. Scripture tells us this. If you walk in obedience to me, I'll bring none of the diseases upon you which I brought upon Egypt, or even diseases that aren't written in this book. Deuteronomy 28, 60 and 61, if you're wanting to look it up. What does that mean? Well, that means if we'll walk in obedience and don't eat, don't eat things that he says isn't food, then we're almost certainly going to be healthier. Doesn't that make logical sense, even if you don't believe that his word has not changed? I mean, how stupid do people have to be to say, well, I don't really care. I'm going to have me a a little pork sandwich with some dioxin mayonnaise mayonnaise dressing on top of it. If you, uh, oh, he he says that uh, I can even uh, eat poison and it won't hurt me. Well, that's if you're walking in obedience. If you're trying to commit suicide, I have a suspicion he may just let you. So the point here is, it's hard not to see the pattern. Now, when we read the text, when we read Matthew 24, and we read stories like the the book of Revelation, we see all these judgments and the bowls and the cups and the trumpets and the shofars, actually, other things. Hmm. How does that look? Uh, The temporal sequence, the the time sequence, uh, I'm not quite clear on all of that. But there comes a point, folks, at which the pattern has been shown to us. And that's what I'm suggesting this week. That's why I think this is an interesting study. Because we look at this and we tend to think, oh, you know, this, this Mishkan, we don't have a Mishkan. It hadn't been the temple. You know, the uh, the associated reading today, the Haftor portion, comes out of 1 Kings. And it has to do with Hiram and uh, Solomon building the temple, you know, where the... Uh, the first temple of Solomon, uh, it's going to be a similar pattern. Most of the stuff is doubled. But likewise, it's the pattern is kind of hard to wrap our heads around. Now, if we were actually able to go into the temple, uh, at least part of it, we might have been able to see part of the pattern. Uh, there are uh, artist renderings and various kinds of uh, hypothetical descriptions of what it might look like. I've seen lots of variants among those things. We know the dimensions, but we don't necessarily know all the details, and we haven't been shown how it was assembled. Matter of fact, there's some kind of miraculous comments that I've read, people saying how it was assembled from the outside, inside out or whatever. None of that matters so much as I think the effort on our parts now, given what we're seeing, to try to picture things that are difficult for us to picture. And to kind of recognize as we begin to see, as you can actually hone this ability. Uh, every engineer that I've known that was a good engineer is great at looking and finding patterns. I mean, really, if I was to say, what's the job of an engineer? It's about looking for and finding patterns. Uh, I discovered years ago when I uh, started getting a lot of patents, you know, uh, while I was still working for IBM. You know one of the tricks to making patents? You look in a discipline that is unrelated to yours. I was an electronic engineer. So I looked at mechanical engineering, or I looked at things from agriculture, or whatever it might be, and I said, well, look, this, this here is the same pattern as what I'm seeing in this circuit that I want to build. Isn't that cool? I can. Has anybody else done that? No, they haven't actually applied that pattern to this thing. I can build a circuit that is an analog of that thing that farmers have been doing for generations or that mechanical engineers have been doing, whatever the case may be. You start applying patterns in new places, and voila, it's called invention. You get to patent it, even if it turns out, hey, now in hindsight, now that somebody has shown us how it works, it's kind of obvious, isn't it? 
So uh, I could tell you a whole lot of stories along those lines, but the point is that is the essence of engineering is looking and finding patterns and recognizing things that we can apply that will make our lives better. Hey, this worked over here. I can put it over here and use it in a different way. Isn't that cool? Well, guess what, folks? When it comes to understanding his word and what's going to happen and where we are and knowing the times and the seasons, I don't think there is any better understanding that we need to come to grips with than how to recognize the pattern that he has already shown us in his word. And in so many other things, right? The things that have been revealed to us. Had a great discussion this week with a friend about uh, the kinds of things that represent natural law and the kind of law that were written uh, for us down in the Torah. In other words, his written word. And the natural law, and uh, you know, as an engineer, this appeals to me too. Natural law are things that we can observe, like the force of gravity. GM1, M2 over R squared. Newton wrote it down, but we saw it, and we can say, hey, that's a law. Why is it called a law? It's not a written law, but um, it always works. That's what a physicist means when he says this is the law of gravity, or Newton's second law of thermodynamics. Always works. Paul Simon wrote a song about it. Everything put together sooner or later falls apart. You know, there are related concepts, but the law is, even if it's not written down, something we can observe and see and use. What are we talking about? In every case, this is about looking and seeing the pattern. Moshe was shown the pattern. And indeed, folks, I will contend we have been shown the pattern. The pattern is, uh, right out of Genesis 3, the great big lying deceiver is still at it. He has come. First, I I guess the biggest lie of the last 17 centuries is that uh, Jesus did away with the law. Eh. That makes him a liar, and the truth is not in him. Because he said, first words out of his mouth, basically, at his first public address, he wasn't changing one yoder tittle. Not one yoder tittle, as long as heaven and earth still exist. I contend that he hasn't, because he is true. He's the essence of truth. The pattern is clear, and we can see that so much has been distorted and destroyed, because the, the old scratch, the bad guy, the adversary, is still working on the same blueprint. He comes but to kill, to steal, and destroy. He is trying to tear down everything that is of Yah, that is of blessing, that is of his created order, right? Starting with the family and the idea of the man as head of the house. Oh, we got rid of uh, male heads of house a long time ago, of patriarchy, of all of those things that were associated with his rules for marriage. Let's put abominations in there in place and call them marriage. Say bestiality is just good. Hey, a little cross-dressing, cut off some genitalia. That's better still. Anything that destroys his order, his family, his creation, the things that he puts here for our good. So, well, what does all this mean? I mentioned the deconstruction. Let me show you one other story. Now, this one, this one is another one of these, uh, hey, once we see the pattern, let's recognize it. Let's be aware of it. Let's think about it. I'll admit, this one is, uh, it would be scary. Um, except for we know who wins and we know who we serve and we know that he who's within us and me, uh, he is greater than he who is in the world. Okay? The power, the authority that we have is greater than the bad guy. But here's one of the elements of the bad guy. It's a piece from LouRockle.com who talks about who? Yeah, the World Health Organization. 
the World Health Organization Restoring Environment, or the HOAR organization. And they are attempting to take over the U.S. pandemic response. Now, you've heard about this. The Biden Fuhrer is basically saying, we want to cede constitutional authority, anything that was the thou shalt nots in the Bill of Rights, because we like to put people in gulags, take away their right to freedom of assembly, speech, worship, to uh, keep and bear arms, for kind of allowed, can't having them, uh, have them opposing what we're intending to do to them. Anyway, this latest thing, and you've probably heard about it, but if you haven't, it's worse than you've heard, for sure. They're attempting to take over the U.S. medical system and the pandemic response. They want to be the super FEMA and so forth. And look how FEMA has done so well, right, in Ohio. Isn't that wonderful? Ironically, uh, I mentioned this before, but I need to mention it in this context. you got people in Ohio that are begging, Oh, please, oh, please, send us to FEMA camps. Because we can't live here. You've destroyed our homes, so now send us to the concentration camps and we'd like a Zyklon B shower, please. Are you kidding me? Can we, can we not see the pattern? Okay, back to the World Health Organization and what they want to do. Obviously, they intend to impose vaccines, lockdowns, and essentially any other massive, dare I say, mark of the beast kind of restrictive measure they want in the name of Booga, booga, booga. Be afraid. Be very afraid. The next virus. Hey, if you thought our Fauci flu was scary, wait till you see what we've got from Ebola and other kinds of wonderful Marburg variants. Yeah, and we've got viruses and vaccines to go with them already. Aren't we clever? Thank you, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Anyway, nobody's talking about how the accord that is now being openly talked about by the Biden Fuhrer uh, will give WHO complete control over not just the American people, but all of their food supply and agriculture, wild and domestic animals to boot. Now get this. Now there's a whole lot of data in here. WHO incoming chief scientist said Monday, governments should invest in vaccines for all strains of influenza that exist, not in humans, in the animal kingdom. Hey, there's a lot of money there, too, to be made, in case there's an outbreak among humans. And that's what we're working on in our labs. Thank you, Fauci. Um, Jeremy Farrar, leaving Wellcome to join WHO later this year, said during a media briefing uh, concerning the planned, I'm sorry, potential pandemic event, H5N1 is a big worry. And uh, there's a lot of possibility. Perfect way here to, quote, create something nasty. So you know damned well that's exactly what they want to do. Next week, said Tedros, one of the evil scumbags at the head of that evil organization, countries will begin negotiating their zero draft of the new pandemic accord. He spelled it wrong. Uh, once agreed to, this accord will subvert the sovereignty of all nations and hand it over to who? Yeah. Now, the concerning language, says the author of this piece for Lou Rockwell, uh, gives who not only the authority to impose mandatory vaccines and lockdowns, but allows it to use viruses in animals that haven't even yet been engineered to cross the species barrier, and the threat of a pandemic, real or imagined, to take over U.S. livestock and complete food supplies. They're going to start with poultry. Hey, did you figure that out yet? Egg prices are up probably uh, about double in most places. They have destroyed tens of millions of chickens and turkeys, and they're going to destroy them all if they get their way. That's the plan here. Either who says you'll allow your flocks to be controlled, surveilled, and vaccinated, which will make them absolutely useless for food, folks, or they'll be killed outright so that no viruses can spread to people. As if that was going to happen, absent the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and Fauci and the various uh, satanic forces here engineering it. 
If you've read through the 32-page draft of the accord, you'll see how this document gives WHO complete authority to take over the U.S. agriculture and food supply. By signing on to the court, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, just a couple of summary items, because I think this essentially shows, again, the pattern. Remember what uh, uh, some evil folks, Henry Kissinger is among those that come to mind, control the nation's food, you control the nation's people, control the water, you control the food. You know, there are lots of people who have expounded upon various ways to control the masses. But basically, if you control their food and water, you can pretty well, well kill them or uh, make them obey. Anyway, by signing on to the accord, a country acknowledges okay, that, that their constitution in for you-know-what, but that most emerging infectious diseases originate in animals, including wildlife and domesticated animals, animals and then spill over to people. That is a bald, bold, absolutely inconscionable lie. Why? Well, because up until bioengineering and bioweaponry became a big deal a couple of decades back, almost all viruses, pandemics, originated in one form of animal. Everybody know what it is? Pigs. Swine. That's why they were called swine flus. Spanish flu. You name it. This was the pattern. Well, what science discovered was that pig DNA is so close to human, guess what? You want to build a bioweapon? You like something that, that kills birds or bats or wombats? You can take the, uh, the, the deadly part of it, the little, uh, uh, well, like the HIV part of it that was done, as uh, you know who did not long ago. You can take those deadly pieces of the protein, you can graft them on to something made from piggies. And then they'll jump that species barrier and, ha-ha, if you did it right, you can get it to infect men, people, humankind. Isn't that clever? So basically what they have are root strains that are based on various kinds of things that they already know will jump the species barrier. Now we just got to see how we engineer them to make them more infectious, more deadly, more Ebola-like. How do we want people to die? Bleeding from all the orifices or maybe not being able to breathe? Isn't this clever? But the, the thing that the WHO got wrong here is it's not all wildlife, folks. Up until, for example, the, um, the bioengineering, there were only two known forms of diseases that jumped the species barrier from birds, or particularly from parrots, right? Parrot fever was one of them, to humans. It was very, very rare and almost never occurred. But guess what? <laughs> Those are great candidates for bioweaponry, too. We are talking about something which is happening because it was designed to happen. And again, I, I encourage people, go back and read the curses in Deuteronomy 28. When you get to verses 60 and 61, note, they didn't use the term bioweapon. The creator of the universe, Moses, they're speaking for him, did not say. But what he did say was, there are going to be diseases that they're not even, they're so bad, they're not even written here in this book. In this book, Deuteronomy, they're not even here. Well, guess what, folks? I guarantee you, they're written in whose book? So, that's one of the great big lies. Uh, it's not just all domestic animals, but if you believe that, then you're going to sit still while they do the rest of this to you. From the outset, they're trying to lay the foundation, says the comment, that the most infectious diseases begin in animals. That is why they have to control your animals. And it's called, ready for this, the one health approach. The one health approach. It's kind of like the one true bride of Christ, isn't it? The one true church. If you ain't part of the one true church, well, then you ain't part of the bride of Christ, and you're going to hell, boy! So uh, we got to understand that the one health approach is uh, not the health that the creator of the universe is going to give you. I guarantee you, it's uh, one that isn't going to last very long. 
They don't want member states dissenting, so everyone had, has to affirm, every state that signs on to this abomination has to affirm their loyalty to the so-called One Health Approach, which includes what they call the health of people and animals and the environment, the ecosystem. Parties must acknowledge, therefore, the creation of what is called the quadripartite to better address the one health issues. Now, the quadripartite explicitly includes who? Yeah, uh, and by the way, the top three donors, notes the piece here, uh, to who include, you named it, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the People's Republic of China. Hmm. And, um, <laughs> well, anyway, you get the picture. Uh, the other um, f- parts of the quadripartite are something called FAO. You know what that word means in Spanish. stands for Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations. The World Organization for Animal Health. That's, whoa! And the UNEP, the United Nations Environment Program. And by signing the accord, a country must commit... I, this, this, this stuff, so, it's so uh, over the top evil. I can just picture, uh, Blofeld, you know, from, uh, from Chaos or, um, whatever the Bond villains, uh, organization was called. Um, you know, <laughs> he didn't have a handlebar mustache. He had a cat. He was stroking his cat. Just, just laughing at this and going, ha ha ha, this is so good. I had not thought of it myself. Uh, they must commit to, uh, integrating the One Health surveillance system. One health surveillance system. Can you say, I know what everybody's thinking, right? The mark of the beast. To identify and assess the risks and emergence of pathogens, anything within the uh, potential realm of pandemic, in order to minimize all the stuff that uh, they want to uh, push down your throats. Furthermore, each party who signs on to this abomination shall foster, quote, actions at a national and at a community level. At a community level, yes, we are going to go and inspect your your backyard chickens. Oh, we will kill them if we think they might provide eggs for you that we do not want you to have because you must eat bugs and mealworms. You know what? The Nazis were pikers, folks. I mean, Adolf had a surveillance system, and later the East Germans had their Stasi. These guys, they, they didn't have anything compared to what ChatGPT and the AI and the Internet of Things and 5 and 6G are going to give the satanic system when it comes to surveillance so that no one might buy or sell without taking the mark. Anyway, they, this is to accomplish what they call, get this, whole of government approach. Oh, yeah, and whole of society approaches. Now, let me remind you, what was it we just read about that other piece? The left will not allow you to say no. They will not allow someone to do what God says. Come out of her. Choose life. Touch not the unclean thing. Say, you know what? Uh, ask for me in my house. We will worship yod heh vav Not the uh, Not old scratch there. Not who? As if we didn't know who they're talking about. Says the author here, and I think he's pretty well nailed it. If you have your own animals, who intends to know about it and control it? And if they feel like it, folks, they intend to destroy. Now, I don't know about you. I uh, I have animals. Got lots of animals. I love those animals. I take care of those animals. Somebody comes and tries to kill them, they got a problem. Because you know what? Let's just be honest. The pattern here is clear. They come to kill your animals. They're killing you. And they may just kill you while they're doing it. And don't think for a second that they aren't prepared the minute they cross the threshold and try to commit an act of trespass and murder. By the way, what does the Bible say? They have no blood. Remember that. 
But don't think they don't intend to kill. And don't think the pattern isn't clear. This is why I get so animated about this and why I'm so concerned that people don't recognize the pattern that is right before their very eyes. It ain't nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. He comes but to kill, to kill, to steal, and destroy. And they are no longer hiding it. For the longest time, Satan was kind of a nice-looking guy. I'm here to help. I'm from the government, and I'm here to help you. I'm here from Big Brother, and I'm here from from all these other... I'm here from the whore church, and I'm here to help you. Here, take a nice pamphlet. That law is done away with. We want your kids, too. We're going to teach them to be little abominations before God. (laughs) They have gone so far beyond that. We're at a point now where, again... Have we been shown the pattern? I will suggest, yeah, we have. And just as it's hard to see the pattern of the tabernacle until we've been shown it, um, you know what? I guess you can even go so far now as to say, once you have seen the pattern, it's hard to unsee it. And I think that's the real key. That's the reason why I know that more and more people that they begin to wake up are saying, you know, um, I can't unsee what's going on. I cannot fail to recognize. Now, in hindsight... What was being done with the mark of the B? I'm sorry, the um, Zyklon B? No, no, uh, what was it? The mRNA vaccination. They even changed the definition of vaccination, folks, so they could call this stuff vaccines that aren't. They're DNA modifications. They turn you into something that is less than human. They destroy your immune system. Well, that wasn't obvious at first. Well, it was to those that saw the pattern. It was, it was to those who said, you know, I don't think I want to be a guinea pig. Don't think I want to be an experimental candidate for something that they're not telling me why they, they haven't released the test results. Well, it turns out the reason they didn't release the test results? Because every ferret, every feline that was injected with this thing and exposed to a challenge test died. 100% of them died. I remember doing that story well over two years ago. You're not going to hear it. You're not going to be allowed to tweet about it or to put it on to Facebook. There's a pattern here. And the pattern says, guess what? They really do want you dead. Now, I've been saying that for, uh, at this point, at least a year, probably several years, but with increasing, uh, not just evidence, but fervor. Because, again, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And what people have to recognize, and here's the question to ask, and uh, Joshua asked it. It was asked by the people who were going into the land. Do you recognize what it is that we're fighting for here? If we're fighting for Yah, then we do what he says. Right? And you can read the story of Joshua, and I've talked about it on a number of occasions. Understand that there were basically two different groups, and actually three different situations. Uh, the people that were there found out that if, if Yah didn't tell them to go to battle, and they tried to, they got their heads handed to them on a stick. Right? They got driven out like bees. That's what happened the first time they didn't go after the incident with the spies. They said, well, okay, sorry here. Uh, our carcasses are going to fall on the land. N- now that it's too late, let's go out and fight them folks. That didn't work out well for them. Okay, So you go when he says to go. Till he says to go, you don't go. Now, if they come across your threshold, remember what Scripture says, they have no blood. It's a different story. But on the other hand, when it came to in the land, there were those different kinds of people groups. The one that the Creator said, hey, and he didn't put it this way, so this is Markology, but I tend to think that this is basically what he's saying, because we can see it in the evidence of Genesis 6, and the, the Nephilim, and the descendants, the Raphaim, and so forth. Something about the DNA of these folks, unlike Noah... Uh, who was Tamim, who was perfect, who was complete in his generations. They weren't. And they literally needed to be sanded down and wiped out. And guess what? It didn't happen. There were giants in the earth in those days and after. We're still dealing with them. 
the Amazites, the Perizzites, the Hittites, and as uh, the late Brad Scott used to say, the Mosquitoites. They needed sanding down. Others, on the other hand, that were humans, you give them a chance. You declare peace to them, you surround them, and if they want to basically lay down their arms and surrender, and then make themselves subject to those that are walking and working on behalf of yod that's okay. If they don't, then you go to war against them. Well, none of that has happened yet. At least, to my mind, it hasn't happened yet. I don't know that it will. I have a suspicion, have a prayer even, that there will come a point at which he will say, all right, have you had enough yet? But in the meanwhile, what I encourage folks to recognize, A, the pattern. We have been shown the pattern, the intent of the adversary. It's not like he hadn't told us for longer than any of us have been alive. The adversary comes but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. It's just that now we're starting to go, whoa, that's a bigger order than we ever really thought. He ain't kidding. He really does want us dead. And the answer is, you bet. He really does. Once you see the pattern, once you recognize that what happened in all of these trained, all of them, are they all not accidents? No. But a lot of them aren't. Okay, I'll, I'll do this funny story. If you haven't heard this, it fits here. There was yet another Arkansas this week. Fellow in Perryville, Arkansas. He died. I would say he was uh, wet worked, offed. They made him an offer he couldn't refuse, and he did. Anyway, uh, in May of last year, he's been gone for, what, nine months or so at this point. They just hid it. But there was a, a FOIA request, Freedom of Information Act request, and the information had to come out. Now, they still won't show people the pictures because the pictures make it clear that the sheriff of that little county is lying through his damnable teeth. And he's probably on the bill and hit payroll. Oh, gee, do you really want to say that, Mark? I will say that something here stinks to high heaven, and it is, in fact, the very essence of what we call an Arkansas. So here's the story if you haven't heard it. By the way, if you have heard this, give me a one. If you haven't heard it, put a two up on the screen. But it goes like this. This fellow committed suicide. That's what they tell us in Perryville, Arkansas. And um, he, it's not clear what order he did this. It could have been either way. But I think the way we're supposed to believe is he first he went and got a shotgun. And he took the shotgun and he held it at arm's length and he pointed it at his chest and he blew a hole right through his chest, point blank range with a shotgun. But he wasn't done yet. Then he went and he hid the shotgun so that the sheriff couldn't find it. They don't know where the shotgun is. And then he went and he found an electrical cord. Maybe he had that already. And he tied it to a tree and he hung himself from a tree. And he left himself hanging there until eventually, maybe four days later, I don't know, eventually he died. And the sheriff came along and said, whoa, look at this. Must be a suicide. Are you kidding me? Once you see the pattern, folks, you recognize, no, this is what's called an Arkansas. This is some guy who, uh, dead men tell no tales. Now, we don't know what it was he was going to talk about, and the point is you're not going to find out. And even if he did talk to somebody, well, they're probably going to end up hanging from a tree upside down with four bullet holes to the head. They'll call that another suicide. Uh, are they committing suicide up there in Ohio? Well, honestly, if they're not getting the hell out of there, some of them are. Is there a pattern here? Can we see it? How bad does it have to get? Well, you know, I could have asked this question, I think I did, a year ago. And people would say, oh, oh, oh I can't believe they would do anything so horrible. Answer, <laughs> what's it going to take from here, right? How about if they say, hey, Vlad, hit me with a nuke. Blow up Washington, D.C. Ha <laughs> ha, double, double, double dog area. And he does. Think people figured it out then? 
I'll probably blow up Manhattan too. Maybe some of the uh, missile silos in North Dakota and Wyoming. Who knows how many places he'll hit. Maybe he'll just unleash the whole thing and, and have it over with. Hypersonic missiles, I suspect that what will happen is probably the uh, the Biden Fuhrer will somehow forget which the uh, codes are and they won't even bother to respond. Are we seeing a pattern here? Again, uh, you know, it's sometimes you have to you have to wax sarcastic about this because truthfully, folks, this boggles the mind of too many people. But the pattern has been shown to us. There is nothing. Well, there's nothing hidden which isn't being revealed. We're seeing that too. But there is nothing that we're seeing that hasn't been obvious, that hasn't been a clear part of where things were headed for literally years and years at this point. It is the inevitable result of what we have seen playing out. And that was the point of that story from Brandon Smith. The left has been working on this. They have been planning the work and working the plan for a long time. All the way back in the 30s in the New Deal when they started destroying the family. And getting rid of the idea of a household that had a a male covering. Oh, that's verboten now. You can't even have patriarchy. They made it a bad word. They took everything that he wrote about marriage and turned it on its head and said, hey, you know, two gay guys doing the but, but Peter Butters gay thing, that's a family. And as a matter of fact, if you're really good at doing that, you can be transportation secretary and watch trains blow up and derail and poison the planet. The pattern is beyond mistake at this point. The pattern is that the planet has gone to hell has, past tense, that's the way I'm going to phrase it, but, uh, you know, the kind of tribulation that is uh, is talked about, well, I think, when I read Matthew 24, I think we're just getting rolling. We're going to see worse than this. Now, you know, people are saying, well, I couldn't have ever believed it would get this bad. How much worse can it get? Answer, we're going to see it. Oh, and the people that think they're going to get beamed up, they're probably still going to think they're going to be beamed up, even though they should have been beamed up a long time ago. Uh, in other words, the post-trib rapture is the thing you got to believe in. Because uh, if, if it's pre-trib, <laughs> it's been disproven already. Once you've shown the pattern, you cannot go back. Once we've shown the pattern, and we have, then we have to ask ourselves, what do we do? So again, I, I think the answer is um, is about as unmistakable as it can be. And and uh, you know, I've, I've had people say, "Hey, Mark, you know, you pretty much talk about the same thing every week." <laughs> well, yeah, because he does. Walk in obedience. If you love me, keep my commands. I didn't change a single, not not a, a single thing, not a jot or tittle of the Torah. If it was important to do it, I told you so. I showed it to you. I wrote it down for you. Do it. Whether we're talking about food or keeping his Sabbath or understanding what's marriage and what's not, or what's real money, honest weights and measures and what's not, all of the pieces ultimately fit together. Hey, there's the bigger pattern. If we walk in obedience to him, the pattern says there is blessing. And if you don't, welcome to the world that you can see that has done exactly that. The pattern is clear. We know what we need to do. Come out of her, my people. All right, from there, honestly, admittedly, it gets a bit tougher. Because now it takes a bit of um, it takes a bit of gumption. It takes some fortitude. Yeshua wrote those seven letters, uh, and, uh, and they're in the book of Revelation, essentially saying, you know what? To he who overcomes. Not enough. Just to say, oh, uh, you know, I went to church on Sunday, said the prayer, got my get-out-of-hell-free card, and had a pork sandwich at the potluck afterwards. You want to be an overcomer? you got to walk it. What does he say? The path is narrow. And this is the thing that ought to scare the hell out of those that believe that uh, salvation is a free gift. I don't ever have to do anything again. I don't have to obey him. He says, few there be that find it. 
And then, yeah, he says it. I'm not even going to open it up. You can probably, hopefully, recite it from memory with me. Um, Matthew 7:23. Many will come to me in that day saying, Lord, Lord, oh, didn't we do all this great stuff in your name? Cast out demons in your name. You know, you, we, we claimed all kinds of things in your name. Oh, Jesus. What does he say? Depart from me, you who are without Torah, you who are lawless. I never knew you. There's another part of the pattern. So, yeah, it's one thing to say, okay, I see it. I begin to try to walk in obedience. It's another thing to do it. And I'm not kidding you. It ain't easy. right? It's not easy to come out of a system that says, well, without this mark, you won't be allowed to buy or sell. You think you can live in New York City and uh, not have to take the mark and survive? I have a strong suspicion unless you get manna from, from right through the apartment roof above you, it ain't going to happen. Remember, even the people that were in the land, out in the Bamidbar in the wilderness, they had to go out and, and gather it up. You can't very well do that in New York City. Not where they're going to take you and arrest you for uh, merely not being of the right, whatever, political persuasion. Again, we, we look at all this stuff that's going on, and, and it's, it's so horrific. The mind almost boggles, and yeah, it is, it is a human tendency to joke about it, to deflect, to say, he can't mean that. Really? And the answer is, he does. He talks about things that make people uncomfortable, like, few there be that find it. Take up your cross and follow me. There are going to be all kinds of nasty things coming down. Oh, he doesn't mean that. I have come to bring a sword. Set, you know, various members of a family again one another. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and so forth. Oh, no, no, he doesn't mean... He's all a lovey, touchy-feely kind of thing. He talks about in the context of of casting out demons. He who is not with me is against me. There are those that come but to scatter. Well, folks, isn't that what we've been talking about? Isn't that the pattern? Can we not begin to see it? I I have been criticized in lots of exchange circles for daring to use the term whore church because that's what scripture says that it is, although it calls it the whore kingdom, the whoring wife, and uh, even the two sticks. But for those that understand patterns, I hope the metaphors are clear. He's talking about the kingdom that has become the whore church, has its roots through Rome and Roman civil law and all kinds of paganism. Yes, there's a whore synagogue too, lest anybody think I'm picking on one of uh, the two whoring houses and wives more so than the other. But the bottom line remains the same. There is a whole lot of stuff that we need to come out of. And it was never intended to be easy. And it's going to offend a whole lot of people. And uh, that's what he said too, come to think of it. His word is offensive to a whole lot of people. They just don't want to do what he says. As a matter of fact, he even addressed that, right? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I say? We're at a point where if you see the pattern, you have to recognize, are we talking about another Jesus whom they have not preached, or the one who wrote the book and didn't change anything, and is in fact the Torah made flesh? And by the way, if you don't get that one right, you have to ask, uh, what kind of blood saves and what kind of blood doesn't? Tainted blood, uh, pig blood, none of those things are worth a blankety-blank when it comes to your eternal salvation. On the other hand, if you believe that he is who he says he is, then it's important we believe that we should do what he said we should do. Walk in obedience. If you love me, keep my commands. And I get asked, well, which commands? We don't have to keep Sabbath, do we? Can I have a pork sandwich? Uh, I will suggest the commands that he says, all of them. My commandments. I wrote them down for you. They're not too hard for you. This is not hard, folks. And on the other hand, this is the hardest thing we'll ever have to do. Because what we have to do is drop the baggage, recognize the real from the fake, 
The AI version of the uh, alien intelligence is going to tell you that all this good stuff is just a result of various Apollos and Junos and various uh, Roman and Greek and Norse gods came to Earth and re-engineered the human genome, and that's why that God of the Bible, uh, that's just, you know, old myth. Pay no attention to that Old Testament anyway. Your whole church told you that a long time ago, and now we're just up in the ante. We are talking about great deception. We're talking about things that, again, over and over. This is why I love this idea of show the pattern. Have we been shown? Yeah. We cannot read Scripture with understanding. We cannot put the pieces together without recognizing the pattern. And that the pattern is complete and it's whole and it is tamim, it is perfect. It is all that we need to be able to recognize truth from lies. What is and what is not his truth, who and who is not the real Mashiach and so forth. And therefore what we need to do. Hopefully, here comes the harder part, as we come out, we're going to have to find ways, right? If who intends to destroy uh, people's flocks and sheeps and herds and, and all their animals and make their land poisoned, oh, it's going to be a tall order. Uh, you know what? I can't do that myself. I can't protect all of the, uh, the land and the animals and so forth by myself. going to need some help. might even need some divine help. But if I expect his divine help, I think I'd better learn to walk in obedience first. His commands, his blessings are conditional. If you love me, keep my commands. If you walk in obedience, these blessings will follow. If you don't, don't expect my protection, my healing, my covering to be lifted up on wings of eagles, to be hidden in the time of trouble. The pattern. The pattern is what matters. Again, we have been shown the pattern. And um, I urge people, pray about it. Pray, and this is important, that we be given eyes to see and ears to hear, to recognize what is true and what is a lie, because some of the lies are really, really insidious. And they have been fed to us, spoon-fed to us by the whore church for longer than any of us have been around. Jeremiah said it. Many will come to me. Oh, that was uh, that was Yeshua paraphrasing. Oh, yeah. He said, people will come from the, the goyim, the nations. They'll come from all over the place. And they'll say, you know what? We have inherited lies from our father. Fathers, fathers, fathers. You know those guys with the little clerical collars? Maybe it's the biological ones. But regardless, we we got lots of lies. Things wherein there's no truth, no profit. Well, we're starting to see that. That is also part of the pattern. So come out of her, understand, walk in obedience, and and recognize we are going to need help. We're going to need to come together. We're going to need to find people who actually believe in his word as written. And I say this, and I, I, like I said, I've had discussions in the last uh, week or two with people. Do you really believe, Mark, that if you don't eat pig, that there'll be protection from these bioweapons? Let me say it this way. You're damned right I do. There are other things too, of course, but I believe that if we walk in obedience to the creator of the universe and eat what he says is food, and don't eat the things that we know damned well he said are not food... We can count on his protection. And I guarantee you, if you think you can count on his protection and walk in rebellion to him, as my dad used to say, you got another thing coming. Matter of fact, it may be worse than that. It is not too hard. Nothing that he asks of us is too hard. The choice of life and death, blessing and cursing is right before us. But it's never been more important. And now that we see the pattern, it has never been more urgent that we walk while we still can and get to a place physically, emotionally, spiritually, economically, where we can do what we need to do, given what we know, because we've seen the pattern, not just coming, but is already here.
So with that, I'll ask uh, any comments or questions, um, anything before we pray this afternoon. So I know we got some folks that think it's already done. I wish it was already done. <laughs> i got a suspicion what's coming is going to be a lot tougher than anything that happened in 70 A.D., personally. I hope I'm wrong. But I'll tell you what, folks, um, I'm already seeing things that look a lot worse. Uh, ask people in Ohio. Ask the people that are uh, going to die from the Zyklon B. Ask the people that are going to be at ground zero. You won't be able to ask them, but uh, once um, the Biden Fuhrer manages to get some nukes flying, uh, there's going to be a lot nastier stuff to come down. Uh, Again, I hope I'm wrong, but uh, when I look at Scripture, I don't honestly see that it can be that much different. Scripture is about Israel, uh, not world history. Well, um, ultimately, folks, uh, world history is Israel. And if you understand what Israel is, that northern kingdom, that ten lost tribes, that he said was scattered through what? Every nation, tribe, tongue, people, all over planet Earth. A greater regathering yet to come when we'll be regathered. Uh, does that mean we're Israel? Or at least that those that want to be can be grafted in? I will. The way I read Scripture, I'd say, yeah, that's the bottom line. Um, we will see the greater regathering. I, I'm sure there are those that are probably listening to this that won't. But on the other hand, um, what we are looking forward to is a time of regathering. But we have to be overcomers. At least that's the way it looks like in Revelation in order for us to get there. Okay. So, um, yeah, we'll see. I guess that's it. For those that say, oh, it was all over in 70 A.D., we'll see. I pray that all of us will see and that we'll be in the place where he has for us to be when we see it. Okay, I don't see any other questions. Let's pray. Yehuah Eloheinu, Yehuah Echad. Abba, we come before you. We thank you. We thank you, Father, that your word is true, that you have preserved it for us, even if people have tried to twist it, take it out of context, turn it on its head. We thank you that you are who you say you are, that you do have all things worked out for our good. And we thank you, Father, that we are, and we pray that we are, called according to your purposes. We know that there are a number of things you have told us to be aware of. We're seeing those things play out. And we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, because we know we live in a time of perhaps the greatest deception in the history of planet Earth, at least certainly in uh, history that we have recorded for us. We can see so many things coming down. We can recognize the deep fakes and the AIs and all of the things technologically that weren't even conceivable just a less than a generation ago. And now they're being used to deceive people. Bioweapons that are being deployed to kill people. Chemical um, mass, weapon, mass weapons of mass destruction. Things that are being deployed, that have been deployed. Things that are killing people that don't even know what's happened to them yet. We know your word says those you love, you chasten. So we pray, Father, that you would chasten all of us, guide us, help us to see through this time of tribulation what it is that we need to know. We know that we know that you do have all things worked out for our good. So you've told us to pray that we would be counted worthy to escape these things coming upon the earth. We do, Father, we pray. Help us to escape these things that are coming upon the earth. Help us to be counted worthy. Help us to be found doing your work from now through all that you have for us through all this time ahead until your return. We pray that you would too give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Help us to understand your truth. Help us to be not deceived. And we know this deception is, is coming. So we pray too that when, when the time comes, you would shorten the days. Show us what we need to be doing. Show us how we need to walk. Guide our steps. 
We do know that your Torah is a lamp to our feet, that it is tamim for the purposes for which you have given it to us, that it is complete. We know that we have things to do, each of us, according to the talents that you have given us, the things that you have charged us with. So help us to walk these things out, we pray. Guide us, protect our families, our loved ones. Father, we have animals and we have other things that you've given us to be good stewards over. So we pray that you would help us to be good stewards of those things. We know that there are a lot of challenges ahead. We know that there are going to be scoffers and mockers and those who will come saying, where's the promise of this coming? We've been hearing it. We know that we're going to hear more of it. Help us to be strong and of good courage, to speak your truth boldly as we ought to. And above all, Father, we pray that we would be good and faithful servants unto you. And all of this we ask in your set-apart name, for you are our King, our Savior, our Redeemer, our help in times of trouble, our Master. You are Yahuwah Zedeknu, Yahuwah Zevuot, Yahuwah Vitzivenu, Yahuwah Nisi, our Banner, our Healer, Yahuwah Rapha. You are our all-sufficient El Shaddai, and we thank you and praise you. Hallelujah. Amen. Uh, let us then begin to wrap up with the Aharonic blessing. We remember that Yahuwah spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak in turn to Aharon and his sons and say to them, This is how you bless the Benai Yisrael. Say to them, Yivarekaka Yahuwah vadishmareka, Yair Yahuwah panavaleka vichaneka, Isaiah huhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuhuh